I've been on a diet for about a week. It's not going well. <laughs> I've been eating salads and running. Is this, are we? <laughs> and then I'm like, why do I still weigh this much? <laughs> if my body is a temple, I'm a mega church right now. <laughs> yes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the One Hour a Week podcast, a podcast about life ministry. I am Rusty Mott here with Jared Hallyer. And hey everybody. We're excited to be here y'all. It is episode three and we are talking today about leading out of the overflow. That is just a real good brief title. Uh, something that you could write down on two lines instead of just the top line because we wanted to, you know, the longer your title is, the better it is. Kind of like an academic journal. I feel like if there was a disciple now for preachers, that would be a great theme. Overflow. Overflow. There's probably a church somewhere called Overflow. Actually, the church I did a D now for this past weekend calls one of their events Overflow. There it is. So, man, I'm already late. taken. They've Royal Royal Haven Baptist Church has taken the market on late Overflow. To the party is so. Royal Haven. Is that no? That's not where the guy that won the coffee in episode one. He was not at Royal no, Haven. No, he was not. He is Waterbrook? in Waterbrook and Wiley. And John Robbins, Jay Robs, if you're listening to this, My you man. still haven't contacted us. Oh. So I know you haven't listened to He's this. It's listener. getting awkward at this point. Uh, we still love you, brother, and I'm going to hold your coffee until you contact me just because that's how we roll. So if you know John Robbins and you're listening to this, give him a heads him, up. Just let him know, man. We're going to start drinking it real soon. I'm going to start reading that Bible. <laughs> and marking all the naughty parts out with a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> well, today we are talking about uh, this idea of leading out of out of the overflow. And what we mean by that is just simply leading people into the things of Christ. And we as ministry leaders cannot do that if we are not pressing into the things of God. So we are going to talk about how we spend time with the Lord, what that looks like for us, and uh, the ideal of that, and what struggles come with that, and how we can maybe work to overcome those. And just really try to encourage you in this time together to make sure that we make that a priority in our lives. So what we're going to do to kick this thing off, Jared and I are both going to kind of share our ideal of what it looks like to yeah. spend time with the Lord. Hard emphasis on the L. This is the ideal. Yes. Because this is what we try to do and what we strive for, but it's not always perfect. Yeah, we'll get to the struggles here in a few minutes. So please, again, now Jared stopped down and, and said this, and I'm going to also reaffirm this. This is the ideal. This is what happens on our perfect day. So if there are no problems, if our schedule is completely clear, if uh, one of our 75 kids does not get up and start <laughs> distracting us, all of these different things, if everything happens just right, this is our ideal way that we like to spend time with God. So we want to just kind of share that with you, and then we'll go into the reality of it and the struggles and why that doesn't normally happen and, and what the struggles look like and how we can maybe work to overcome them. So Jared, why don't you start off and, and share a little bit about what your time with the Lord looks like in an ideal situation. I prefer to do my grown-up quiet time, if you will. Is that what we're calling it? Why not? I don't know what else to call it. When you were in the youth group growing up, your youth pastor emphasized wake up 30 minutes before or 15 minutes before you have to start getting ready for school, and that's the best time to, to spend with the Lord, and that's the best way to start your day. Sure, but for me it doesn't work. Waking up in the mornings, getting kids ready for school, lunch is packed, out the door, all that kind of stuff. So I prefer to do my grown-up quiet time, in air quotes, that you can't see on a podcast, on 
on a work day, I do it at my desk once I get to the office and can sit down for a few minutes and catch my breath. That's when I prefer to do it because I usually have large chunks of time that I can just sit and pray and read. So I have a couple different things that I do. I kind of alternate between these things depending on how I'm feeling that day. Obviously, prayer is, is a huge part of it. and I, I do spend time in prayer on the way to the office. I mentioned last week that I have about an hour commute to the office. So I'll spend you know a lot of that time in prayer. But once I get to the office and I have that devotional time, that quiet time, obviously a large chunk of it is spent in prayer. And for me, prayer has become not about a list of things that I'm checking off, but just kind of a conversation with God. I think that's the ideal for all of us, is that it would just be, Lord, here's what my day looks like. I'm open to other things. Help me with the agenda. Help me with this calendar. Help me be faithful today. I start off with a few minutes of that, and then I get into either a devotional book that I have, and I'll mention the title later. We're going to talk about some resources that we use for our devotional times. I'll either use one of the devotionals I have sitting on my desk, or some days I just grab my—I keep plugging the ESV Reader's Bible, but that really has been one of the best tools for me personally because I find myself just reading— these huge chunks of Scripture, sometimes 9, 10, 11 chapters on some days, just knocking them out quickly, but getting these huge chunks of Scripture read. Um, I just did it with, with a couple of the Gospels in the last few weeks with Matthew and Mark, and it just really fleshes out the story and gives you a bigger perspective on the way Jesus is doing things and the way he chooses to do things. So instead of reading a devotional and then three or four verses, just reading these huge chunks of Scripture has just been a really beneficial thing for me lately. So 20, 30 minutes with my door closed and my mind quiet and just praying and and reading either, again, large chunks of scripture or reading one of these devotional books that I have. And it's pretty standard, pretty, pretty typical QT, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to impress anybody by saying there was one of the monks who said, I can't start my day without spending four hours in prayer. You just took my wow. next line. Shout out to that guy. But that's, that's not me. And the other thing I found, too, just to try and just my, justify myself a little bit, is that by making prayer kind of an ongoing conversation, it takes the pressure off of me to feel like I've got to get all my praying done in my quiet time. Because as long as I don't say, okay, bye, Lord, I'll see you later, throughout the day keep the, the attitude of prayer going, pray without ceasing. So I, f- I feel less pressure to get it all done in 30 minutes in the morning because it's just a start to my day. What about you? Are you more holy than me? You set your alarm for 4 a.m.? Well, you wake up? I believe without a doubt that I'm more holy than you. But um, that has nothing to do with it. Yeah, that doesn't has nothing. Just quiet time aside, I'm definitely more <laughs> holy than you are. And humble, uh, but that's another conversation. By the way, the humility people, I will say this, listeners have picked up on how humble I am. You're so uh, humble, Rusty. It's ridiculous. People all the time are coming up to me and saying, Rusty, your humility astounds me. If you don't believe it, just visit his website. It's www.rustyishumble.com. RustyMott.com slash how humble I am. Yeah, Yeah, I have a whole page on my personal website dedicated to my humility. It's RustyMott.gov because he's so humble. The U.S. federal government has gotten behind him, and they're like, yeah, this this is it. Let's make humility great again. Chew on that, North Korea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Is yours much different than that? So for me, I have seen in my life that the most beneficial times of growth and development for me as a Christ follower has been when I've been consuming 
the Word of God on a regular basis. So for me, every time that I start to kind of feel like I'm drifting away or I'm not connected to Jesus like I need to be, it stems back to not being in His Word. So for me, the ideal time with Him is making the Word a priority in my life by trying to wake up before my family does, before my kids are up, and getting to spend a significant chunk of time, whether that be 20, 30 minutes of reading the Word of God and just focusing on Him and what He has for me, uh, trying to have a Bible reading plan, doing something systematically that changes from time to time. Last year, I read through the Bible in a year in a chronological reading plan. Uh, this year, I'm kind of just tackling different books at different times and trying to do that. But just reading the Word of God and letting it soak in and then trying to take time to think about what I have read and then pray in response to that. Uh, but the problem is for me is that I just struggle to do it, period. And uh, you're not know, those of you listening don't know this because we've edited it out, but this is the third time that I've attempted to try to talk about what my ideal quiet time looks like. And the reality is it's difficult to articulate because I don't think I hardly ever get this ideal anymore for a variety of reasons, but some of it is, well, in fact, I would say most of the reasons are not founded. Uh, there are so many distractions that, that come at us, and for me, what's weird about it is how strong our flesh is, because every time I read God's Word for my personal edification, every time that I spend time in prayer, when I say, okay, I'm going to spend this next 15 minutes seeking the Lord, every time I sense His presence, every time I feel Him moving in my life and changing me, yet why is it a struggle when I feel God's presence, when I know that he's changing me, when I know that it is impacting me and making me more like Jesus, why in the world? Like, it should be difficult for us to stop reading the Bible. It should be difficult for us to stop praying. Yet I find myself, even when I'm in my ideal times of studying God's word and praying, seeing it like a checklist that I've got to move through. Yeah. And when I move through it, then I can read my paper. Then I can start knocking out things on the DVR and watching TV and and doing that kind of stuff. I just want to pick up on the idea of the strength of our flesh, though, not just in these things, but in every area of our life. I've been thinking and praying a lot this year about the idea of discipline and how in every area of our life we are most successful where we are most disciplined, whether it's your finances or your health or your spiritual walk or whatever it is you're wanting to do. So I think discipline, it's a hard thing. We know that eating right and exercising is the better option, but how many of us do that all the time? Me. It's more fun to sit on the couch and watch Netflix with a bowl of M&Ms. Mm, it's yes. more fun to go to the mall and just whip out the credit card and buy stuff, but the more disciplined and the wiser things to do. So that just points to that this is one more area where our flesh is a constant battle. But on the opposite side of that coin, thank God for His grace in these things because James says when we draw near to God, He'll draw near to us. And so... I think God honors our attempts at discipline. I think he honors our desire to be better. I think he honors our repentance when we finally do show up for that quiet time and go, Lord, I've dropped the ball for a week or I've dropped the ball for a month. I've I've missed out on this. You were saying earlier before we started recording that if you see somebody in a social setting, you're like, hey, we should hang out sometime, and you don't see them for six months, then you do see them. You're like, oh, gosh, how do I avoid this conversation? Because it's going to be awkward and it's going to be weird. But if you go to, if you hear a sermon or you go to an event and you think, yeah, I've got to make God a priority in my life, and you do it for a week or two, and then you drop the ball, and then a month goes by and you're like, 
oh, I haven't had a quiet time or a devotional time. You don't have to have that same fear of God that you do of man. You don't have to be like, oh, I can't go back to God because it's going to be awkward. You can go to God and say, look, I, I admit that I've dropped the ball, and I, I repent of that, and I'm going to try again. And God's grace and mercy, like, he'll be like, yeah, you're right, but let's pick up and keep going, right? So we shouldn't beat ourselves up when we do miss it or mess up or, you know, are undisciplined in these things. We should strive to be disciplined about it and strive to make it a priority, but not beat ourselves up when we miss out. We should go to God and receive the grace to to pick it up and start doing it again. I think the key for us in our quiet time, we see it as an obligation instead of an invitation. Ooh, that'll preach. I'm just a wordsmith, man. (laughs) I'm just over here smithing words. (laughs) That really, to me, is the biggest difference because I do see it as something I need to do. And the reason it's something we need to do instead of something we want to do is that somewhere along the way, we forget that the God of all the universe, the one who created everything in it, who knit us together in our mother's wombs, Mm. says, hey, come hang out. Like, there's a seat at the table for you. Like, I'm not going to miss that. Yet, for some reason, the flesh in me fights against that. If uh, President Trump called and said, hey, man, I want you to come see me in the Oval Office. Hey, regardless of how you feel about him, like if the President of the United States says, hey, man, I'd I'd like to sit down and talk to you, you're going to take that invitation. And you're not going to miss it. Yet it's odd, and you don't even have to go that level. Let's say the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Let's say the director of missions of the SNBA. Let's say Jimmy Neal calls you and says, hey, man, I'd like to, to have a cup of coffee with you. I wish I would get that call. You don't ask questions. You say yes, right? But but what I'm saying is worldly figures and, and sure. people who have worldly influence, we're all about that. Yet the God who literally made this world We're so quick to neglect that. So I think it's that shift in our mentality that has to happen where we go from this is something I need to do to please God. Instead, we go to that saying, God has given me this invitation, and it is for my good. It's it's for his glory, certainly, but he wants me to come and, and share my heart with him. He wants to speak into my life. And, man, any opportunity we get like that, I'm all for it. And I'm real good at preaching this, yet the reality is I struggle to do it. So my prayer in doing this podcast today is that we will be re-inspired to reconnect and prioritize God's Word and prayer in our life, but also that those of you listening will catch this and and join us on this journey. I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about the relationship aspect of a quiet time. Because like I mentioned, when you're in youth group growing up, and maybe we even do this as ministers or Sunday school teachers or pastors, we tell our folks, here's what a quiet time is supposed to look like. 15 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day. You read, you pray, you do this, X, Y, and Z. Here's how you do it. If our salvation and our faith and our discipleship is supposed to be a growing relationship with Christ, we'll admit that every relationship is different. My marriage to Elizabeth doesn't look like your marriage to Mallory. You're in different places, you're raising your kids different, but it's still a strong and healthy marriage, even though our relationship with our wives is different. So how can we, as leaders, encourage our people to figure out what works for them as far as a quiet time or a devotional time goes? We don't want to be, here's the rule, it has to be 20 minutes a day, you read X number of chapters, you spend this long in prayer, here's how you do it. There's some denominations who, who do that, you know. So how can we encourage our people to figure out, or how can, how can even we maybe through different seasons in our life, figure out what is this time supposed to look like? How can I maximize this time so that it doesn't feel rigid and stiff and like a checking a box off a to-do list, but it's just part of my relationship 
with Christ. Well, I think you have to understand as ministry leaders, as pastors, that all of your people are different. God has wired people in different ways. There are guys in my church that I, if they can read a two or three minute devotional in the pickup truck before they start their work day, man, that is a huge victory That's and a, a step win. in the right direction. Yet there are also many in our church who, just to read Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest, and move on through their day and feel like they're good. Man, they haven't really stopped and let the Lord speak into their life, and they have the opportunity to see him in a, in a different way if they would engage more with him. Um, I don't think we need hard and fast rules. They can be unhelpful, but I also know there are some people who just don't know at all what they need to do. Mm-hmm. All they've heard are vague generalizations. Generalities? Generalizations. Generalizations. Thank you. You're welcome. Mr. Wordsmith we'll edit that out. There. Wordsmith over here <laughs> killing won't. it. Killing it with these words. Vague generalities. So, generalizations. So I think what we have are these people who don't do well with vague generalizations of, well, it's about a relationship, so just kind of hang out with them. And there are people who need some tools. I, I've found in some of the discipleship curriculum that I've written and implemented in our church one of the most helpful things has been when we moved past, so we talked about prayer, walked through the model prayer and said Jesus talks about all these kind of theological principles and even a little bit of practical, but then when we got to a page that is just practical prayer, and, and I'm telling you, these are how simple it was. Number one was start. <laughs> like Seriously, yeah. like don't stop talking about praying and start just, praying. But then we had things like set a time, set a place, mm-hmm. Keep a journal, and some for some people that's writing out your prayers. For some people that's making a list of prayers. But I've found that having some very practical, here's how you can get started. It's important to, like you said, make sure they understand this is not a rigid rule. This is not how to pray. And this is biblically what we see. Think about Luke chapter 11 is where the model prayer is recorded in Luke's gospel. And the disciples, man, they'd seen Jesus heal people, raise people from the dead, feed people with a Happy Meal, 5,000 people with just a little bit. I don't know who they gave the toy to, but just <laughs> incredible things happening. Yet the first thing we see in the Bible the disciples ask Jesus about is when Jesus gets done praying, mm-hmm. they say, man, how would you do that? Yeah, teach us that. Like, that was crazy. How, we, all this other stuff is amazing, but how do we have that kind of relationship with God? So you would maybe anticipate like a, awesome prayer lecture, maybe a Sermon on the Mount size discourse on how to pray, but instead Jesus gives them like 30-something words. Right, just a few sentences. And that's an incredible thing that what we kind of end up seeing throughout all of Scripture, and and it's difficult for us because we want to know how to pray. Right. How do we do this? What does it look like? But instead, we're just going to constantly again see just this invitation to pray. Right. I've always been let down by books on prayer. And I know some of you, in fact, I'm open to those, so recommend, go ahead. Uh, Keller's book on prayer, we were talking about that. In I'm the reading it right now. production meeting. Yeah, Ooh, that sounds fancy. That's does. what we do. Uh, so we're talking about that, and, and I enjoyed that resource and any other books you guys want to tweet at us and recommend, we will take those. But here's the thing. I always go to them hoping they're going to help me see how to pray and give me some tangible things. And they rarely do. Like, it's usually more of, yeah, you should pray. Like, no, the Bible's big on, yeah, you ought to pray. That's great. Um, but it doesn't tell us so much how. So I think it's important for us to, to not be legalistic and not say this is the format. But I also think it's very helpful to give them the resources and give them just a basic guide to help people get started in prayer. I think the reason there aren't very many good rules about prayer is because it is a relationship. And if somebody comes to you and says, hey, 
I'm always leery of the, here's five steps to having a better marriage. There's some good principles in there, but to stick to the hard and fast rules, I think, is a mistake because those blueprints don't fit on every relationship. And so good for you if you can have a date night with your wife every Saturday. That's awesome. We can't afford it. Time-wise, money-wise, we don't do it. So we make it up in other ways. So good for you if you can wake up at 4 a.m. and spend two hours in prayer on your face crying. That's awesome for you and God. It doesn't work for me. So I think it helps not just for our congregation, but for us as ministers to figure out what works for us, what is the most beneficial, what helps us connect to the Spirit in the best ways, and then charge into that. Don't avoid it, and don't make excuses, and don't get too distracted for too long, but figure it out, and then once we find that sweet spot, we have to press into it. But the distractions are real, and they're there, so some structure does help. Having an appointment does help, but it's, again, finding that balance between the rules and the reality of life. For some people, it's listening to a sermon or listening to an audio Bible in the car on the way to work, and that's great. For some people, it is two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening, and that's awesome. But however it works for you, it's got to happen. I think we're less concerned with the how than the that. Not not how does it happen, but that it happens. Now that we've discussed a little bit of the how and the that, the why as ministry leaders is, as you were saying earlier, we can't lead people somewhere that we haven't been. So the most important important factor in this, talking to ministry leaders and pastors, and and kind of the theme of this podcast is for people in leadership positions, is we can't pour into other people if we're empty ourselves. Kind of ties back into what we were talking about last week with rest. We can't go and lead our people well if, if we're spiritually empty. And there's some people that try to fake it, and they've been in church long enough that they know the jargon and the the rules. They can stand up and pray out loud better than they can pray in their own closets at home. Which, by the way, if you literally have a prayer closet, where do you keep your clothes? What are you doing? Hashtag war room. That's a weird thing to literally have a closet. But I digress. So as ministry leaders, we have to be— I'm really anxious to make an R. Kelly parody um, called Praying in the Closet. (laughs) All right. Pray in the closet. (laughs) So talk about that. Talk about the danger of faking it, the danger of— as ministry leaders not making it a priority and then trying to lead? I think that as ministers, there is this great danger of acting like we've got it all together. And one of the key signs of having it all together is that we are praying and reading the Word. And I know it's a real pressure because when I first arrived at Cornerstone, I did a series on prayer and was very blunt about my struggles to pray to the point that somebody approached one of our elders and said, I really appreciate his honesty, but you know, he's supposed to be our pastor. Mm. Like, it, it, So there is a real danger in saying, man, this is a struggle for me. It's difficult. But still, I think the greater danger is acting like we're praying and acting like we're in the Word when we are not. And just to, to share the story, I had been at Cornerstone for several months and was at a pastor's meeting, and we were talking about prayer. And I remember just asking the question for the group, you know, guys, I'm I'm struggling with this. How do you guys find time to pray? What does your prayer time actually look like on a practical level? And for the next 10 or 15 minutes, it was just complete, sheer and utter pastor talk. Just posturing. Just, well, you know, uh, I think 
Jonathan Edwards said yeah. that, and it was just great. And, and I realized in that moment, preaching some of their old sermons. Yeah, I realized in that moment that prayer is a struggle for most of the men in that room, yeah. and we just couldn't be honest about it. And it encouraged me a little bit to realize that I'm not alone, but at the same time, it scared me because I realized that we weren't being honest about that struggle. For me, I think we need to be honest and try and, and don't try to fake it with our people because it's beneficial for our church to see that we don't have the, the market cornered on prayer. But also, we must be willing to say it's not okay to stay here. And that's got to be the heart behind it. So, yes, prayer is a struggle for me. Uh, it's difficult to have a consistent prayer time. It's difficult for me to not be distracted and for me to stay committed to the Word of God. But you know what? I know what the Bible says is true, and I know that God meets me when I pray. I know that God speaks to me. So you know what? I'm fighting, and I'm going to keep fighting, and I want you to join me in that fight. Yeah. Uh, so our, if we're not doing that, it's a it's a dangerous place. Our to confession be. has to lead to repentance. Yes. We can't just confess our struggles and then be like, "Well, this is the way I am." I think part of the hesitation to be vulnerable in front of our congregations, or maybe it's not so much a hesitation with our generation, but I look at older generations of pastors and church leaders, and they do seem like they had it all together. I think that they, I don't want to say they postured more or they they put on more of a show, but I do think that in former generations, the pastor was the guy who stood up front, and he was sort of elevated as the spiritual leader. He follows Jesus, and then we follow him. And I think you and I, being younger guys, we're part of a generation that, to some extent, is reacting to that, where our idea is more that we're going to lead from the congregation. We're not walking in front of you, but we're walking with our congregations through these things. I think we're more willing to say those things, and so I think we should be. You know, The, the reason I do that is because I believe that's a healthier way to lead. So we shouldn't be afraid to let our people know that we're on these journeys too, that we struggle with quite, even as a pastor, we struggle to to maintain this, but we recognize it's a struggle that we should strive to overcome. Not that it's a struggle and so let's just throw in the towel and not do it, but make sure they know that we're striving for it too. And then as leaders, we're striving with you. Our congregations, our small groups, our Sunday school classes, our youth ministries, whatever it is that we're leading, we're struggling through this together so that we come back together in our meeting times, Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights or whatever, and we there is some accountability. We say, how'd you do this week? You're good? All right, let's 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 keep on pushing. Let's keep on pushing forward through it. So I think it's okay for us to be vulnerable about that. But again, our confession has to be followed with repentance. I struggle with it. I'm going to do better and then keep striving for it. Do you have any books or devotionals that you use? I think for me, it's mainly Bible reading plans that have been helpful. There is... Um, for different seasons in my life, I kind of read differently and have different reading habits. Uh, last year I did, like I mentioned earlier, the chronological reading, and it was just a chunk of Scripture in order going all the way through the Bible. And that was rough for me. I tend to do better with kind of the ADD uh, method, right. which I think it's Professor Horner's reading plan, which I believe he was with John MacArthur um, out at the seminary that they do out there. Uh, but it, you can look that up, Professor Horner's Bible reading plan. And what I liked about it, it was 10 chapters a day, which is a lot of reading, but it was from 10 different sections of Scripture. Whoa. So for me, it was really cool for, in that season, and, and that's what I'm probably going to go back to soon. Because about the time that I get bogged down in Isaiah, I'm moving to the book of Acts. Right. And I'm moving to these different sections. There's and a it's similar crazy. one. Is it the McShane I don't know. Maybe plan. It's similar, similar to that. I think it has four different sections. So it'll be like the wisdom books, the prophets, and then Psalms and Prov- or uh, Acts and the 
epistles and then the gospels. Yeah, I, that, those are helpful for me because it kind of keeps me moving in different sections of the Bible. And it also, you'll be surprised how often the Bible is talking about the same things and can, you'll make connections that you would never make otherwise. So it was really helpful for me. Uh, so Bible reading plans are particularly hel- helpful. And the other resource that has been invaluable to me is actually a journal. And I've been like anti-journaling and like, I'm, is it okay to not be a fan of the journaling Bibles? Like, I don't want you to draw a big picture of a beautiful rose <laughs> in the middle of the biblical text. Like, that's annoying to me. But okay, if that's your, you and it's been great for your quiet time, please don't tweet hate at me. All right. But <laughs> let me just say this. Um, I don't write out my prayers, but having a running list of what I'm praying for yeah. to help keep my mind focused. Because again, the ADD, I'm like, okay, Lord, thank you so much for this time. I wonder what I'm going to eat for breakfast. Do we have any Cheerios? Oh man, I hope it's not those weird uh, apple cinnamon ones. I want the honey nut Cheerios. Like, and then I'm like, oh no, no, I'm sorry, Lord, I'm back. But having that list in front of me gives me a tangible thing to pray for. And then I move on to the next. It kind of helps me stay focused. So for me, Bible reading plans and uh, trying to do a little bit of journaling on a very low level in my prayer time has been helpful in terms of resources. What about you? Uh, I am less spiritual than you. I actually have a couple of devotionals that I use, devotional books, which for a few years I didn't because I struggled to find one that wasn't elementary feeling. You know, be... I didn't want to do Jesus Calling. We went there. <laughs> I just didn't want to do something that was like... Wait, what if I wrote a book and said I was Jesus talking and speaking into your life? Right. I mean, you may not trust Sarah Young, but what if it was me? I wouldn't buy that either. Jared... Jesus says... Tell you what, if you can get it published by Crossway, (laughs) then I'll consider it. Jesus says, give Mm -hmm. me all your money for selling millions of copies of a book. I just feel like if you go to the devotional section, most of what you're going to find is one or two verses at the top of the page and then three or four paragraphs of, you're awesome and Jesus loves you. And so I was glad to find a couple that were a little more meaty, a little... A little deeper. One of them that I'm really enjoying is New Morning Mercies by Paul David Tripp. And it's it's by date. And so you open it up each day to today's date and then read that. And then at the bottom of each page, he has a couple of chapters to read for further encouragement. I really like it because it's really gospel driven and grace heavy. It's things that I need to be reminded of before I go and tell other people. So it's just been a really good one. And I've been using that one for about six months off and on. Um, again, some days I don't use a devotional book. I'll just grab my ESV Bible and try to read, you know, six or seven chapters. But the other one I just got a couple weeks ago and I'm enjoying because so much of New Morning Mercies is New Testament and gospel readings that I wanted something from the Old Testament. So I picked up Timothy Keller's The Songs of Jesus, and it's a one-year devotional out of the Psalms. And so a couple weeks ago I picked it up and really enjoying that. Some of the, the longer Psalms are broken up uh, to read over two or three or four days, but a lot of them cover a one psalm a day, and so some days I use both of those, some days I use one or neither of them, but again, like you were saying, it's good to have some structure involved, something that you don't just go in and kind of open the Bible, throw a dart, and hope for the best, but some structure, and that way it it builds over time, and again, one of the things that we're best at are the things we're most disciplined at, so that's what works for us. If it doesn't work for you, figure out what works and, and chase that rabbit. Go figure it out and then do it. I want to just encourage you before we go today with a verse of Scripture that has just been really messing me up the last couple weeks in a good way. Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. 
And that's the goal. That's the goal of our ministry in our life. We want people to hang around us and say, those guys have been with Jesus. Mm. We want to be so full of his presence and his power that people know beyond the shadow of a doubt when they walk away that we have been with Jesus. And they know the difference between real and fake. You can't fake that. You can't fake the presence of God in your life. You can't fake uh, his power and presence working in and through you by staying daily connected to him. So uh, let's live our lives in such a way and minister in such a way that our folks know we've been with Jesus. We appreciate you guys listening to this episode of One Hour a Week, a 30-minute ministry podcast. Be sure and follow us on Twitter. Rusty is at Bro Rusty Mott. I am at Jared Hollier, and this podcast is at Hour a Week Pod. If you're listening to this on the day it releases or in the couple days following, be praying for me and Rusty and six other pastors from our area. We're going on a eight-day trip up to Indiana where we'll be preaching some and then attending a big conference. I think we're going to record an episode from the road, right? Oh, snap. So Instead of one hour a week, it's going to be 30 hours in a van with Rusty and Jared. So get ready for the live broadcast of that. We're going to Facebook live it for <laughs> the, the whole, whole time. time. The whole trip. So if you're the praying type, and we hope you are, especially after this episode, you Amen. better be. Amen. Uh, say, uh, say a prayer for... Say a pray. Say a pray, yo. <laughs> say a prayer for Rusty and myself. We <laughs> would appreciate it. Six other guys who are going to be on the road. And we will do a uh, an episode from there, kind of give some response and reaction to the Gospel Coalition Conference that we're going to. And we do appreciate you guys listening, and we hope this is beneficial and encouraging to you. We know that you all have been to us, and so thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Drop the mic.